film sucks Indie film sucks It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast Yeah Streets of St. Louis from Ooh, a basement on South Broadway. The Indie Film Sucks podcast. Because Indie Film is. <laughs> well, nobody watches nah, it's doing Indie all right, Film. Man. Indie Film Indie Film has been doing all right this week in it's St. Been Louis. Oh, okay. Mackie, did, did Chris just like startle you just then? He did. I mean, he, he, he did. put some extra pepper in there. No, that. I know. He, he's that trying to it? change it up a little bit <laughs> on something. Because I don't know how he got the job, and I'm glad he's got it because he does it really well. Uh, okay. <laughs> no. Man, keep up that energy. But you were saying, Mackie. I said indie film doesn't suck because oh. this week we had uh, a great screening from Nathan Karimi. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Uh, so we just saw Oscar Tango Hellwater. Yes. Boom. So uh, a, a lot, lot of, of good pe- things going on in St. Louis. That was a great screen. I don't know if you guys want to talk about it a little bit or. Yeah. What a great piece of art. Yes. That yeah. was that was really really done well. The way the the camera movement was, the lighting and, and the everything, the acting was phenomenal. Yeah, Holy acting was cow. phenomenal. Yeah, so I mean, I have to give props to him. Uh, so if the acting was good and everything else was good, I guess the directing was pretty damn good. So. Good job for you, uh, Nathan. I'm very proud to uh, be a friend of yours, man. Good yeah, job. it was awesome to watch. I'm glad we finally got to see it after uh, I don't know how long I've been waiting to see it. A while. Yeah. yeah. And check out a couple of the actors who are in Red Night at Skies. Jackie Which... Kelly and Zach Farmer and Scully Shimwell. Oh, three. Yeah, three of the actors. Yeah. 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 So that's awesome. Good to see that. Um, what else we got going on? What do we got? Festival Front. What we got? Just sent them off? Just sent them off. Sent them off to uh, eight, maybe nine. We're not going to hear back for a while. Okay. We're either going to get in them or we're not. I mean, that's how the festivals go. Keep them posted. Yeah. Keep them posted. Distribution front. <laughs> <laughs> Distribution front. Well. We have our first uh, distributor up to bat. Up to bat. Got the, got the text the other night, and uh, we they want to talk to us. Yeah. So we sent the screener off, and uh, they're excited, and they want to talk to us. So Yeah, we knew that was coming. Uh, we pretty much prepared for talking to distributors for a while now. So yeah. we have a checklist on uh, things we'd like to hear from them, and maybe, maybe a checklist from us that we'd like to... Uh, them to hear from us yeah so in a couple weeks i think we'll uh let the folks know how that went for us yeah the, the conference the initial conversation initial conversation because we've been batting around maybe we can talk about this a little bit but we were batting around going what's that first conversation going to be like yes it's going to be a lot of oh your movie was so great oh it was so good oh, <laughs> oh we hope so but, but we really <laughs> well, maybe... I mean, it's better than oh your movie is kind of half-assed but you know there's a lot of half-assed movies out there making money there are. No, it's true. So and I don't want them to say that. that. That's been my experience with distributors is the first conversation is usually they're, they are very overflowing with praise for your film. And mm-hmm. the things they can do, the things they like to see, the places they'd like to go. And all of that essentially in the first conversation doesn't mean anything. What what means something is the language in the contract. Right. And that's what I'm interested in seeing what you just said if that happens, because this will be my first experience being on the phone with a distributor after they viewed our movie, because we talked to this distributor once already, Yeah. when we were still early on, probably a little premature, but it was nice of them to introduce, you know, us to get introduced to them. Oh, yeah. Um, so we had a connection there. Now they want to talk to us about our movie. 
but I'm interested on how that conversation really goes. So going into contracts, I mean, if Chris, do you, Greg, do you want to talk about what some contracts we have received in the past look like and why we're not going to go with that type of model ever again? I have been to the distribution circus three times. One time, absolutely nothing came of it. The whole deal fell apart really before it got off the ground. What did they ask, ask you, though? What was the deal? The deal with amphetamine was it was going to be bundled with like five or six other low-budget kind of action thriller films, and it was going to go out in, in one sort of DVD deal. Okay. And that deal just basically fell apart, which happens. And was so, there a certain split at that moment in time that they were even talking about? I don't even know what the split would have been, but it was like five or six other low-budget films, and they're all kind of tied together, and they go out in a DVD bundle, and everyone gets a percentage of that. Okay. But that was amphetamine. That was amphetamine. Okay. That was 20 years, something years yeah, that ago. Yeah, right. it was close to 20 years ago. Okay. Right. So then Rhineland, the deal, it's a fair deal with that movie. I looked at the... I, Chris, I was actually really surprised how clean... Because you kept saying, it's clean, Chris. It's, it looks great. It's not... I didn't do anything that anybody else wouldn't have done. But man, that contract is so just clean. It's like five pages. But it's not executed. No, it's not executed. End. It's not no. executed on right. their end properly. So that's no. that's the difference. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But. So essentially, what, what you want to put in your contract are as many breach clauses as they will let you. Mm-hmm. Essentially, if they're not reporting on time, breach a contract. Anything that will let you to get out of the contract if they don't do sort of the bare minimum. Because anything an honest distributor, an honest person will do, it is honest to give you a fair accounting on time. Right. You're not asking for the world there. You're asking for basically the bare minimum. Tell me what I'm making, when you're supposed to tell me what I'm making, and then give me what I'm making. And if I'm making zero, tell me why I'm making zero. Yeah, if you're a partner, wouldn't it just be great if you were honest? Yeah. And right. maybe partner up again? But Try to position the contract language so they have to disclose. They have to be honest. And they have to, right, and on things that they should be honest and upfront with anyway. Yeah. We just know that in order to take that second tier kind of protection, that you got to put those clauses in there. And what you don't want to give up also is control of your key art. Because that's another way that distributors can funnel money away from your film. They can they can funnel money away from you. Essentially, well, we had to pay our graphic designer six thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars for all this new key art because what you had wasn't what just wasn't working for us. That's all horse shit. So they're right? gonna re- so you're saying you give the money away because they're gonna recuperate that through receipts. Yeah. Before you get a dime. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So if they have to pay in quotation marks, pay a graphic designer $10,000 to redo the key art, I mean, they're probably just paying themselves, right? So you want to keep control of that if you can. Yeah, if you and we're going to try for that for sure. I do know that uh, watching other independent filmmakers ha- have to give that up for the key art, like Chris Gregg is talking about. In your key art, I'm talking about the poster art, the DVD art, all the main images that are going out. Yeah, so like a DVD cover or the key art you see on a IMDb or something like that, or any platform, the picture that pops up on your TV, right? Yep. So in different markets, uh, they want different looks. They've even renamed some movies uh, just because they know that the name will sell better in a different market, like say Asia. Like Asian markets, they like guns and knives and all kinds of shit. You know, and that's not our movie, but they may put guns and knives you know, on the cover on the cover of the key art just to make it sell better. 
Mm. Like uh, there's tons and tons of independent films in different markets that their key art looks different than their one they have for the United States or North American market. Yeah. So we could change it up ourselves, what Greg is saying. We don't need to No, no, because we have a person. Some people do. don't. Right. And understanding that, that that's one of the ways that distributors, because some people need it. Correct. If you need it from them, A, I suggest go out and try to find somebody to quote it yourself and see if you can negotiate that. We happen to have a buddy that does it very well. He's been doing doing it for 30 years. But B, understanding that that's what they're going to do. Yes, can they inflate the cost? Absolutely. Can they use it as something, as a a shelter or a shield to hide other costs behind? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The grand scheme of the things is, is they are they're using it to benefit the film for everyone. It's just you're not getting that clear reporting back on a what they spent exactly right and why they did it. All those key things that you want to hear back from them and going, hey guys, before I do this, this is why I'm doing it. This is how much it's going to cost, and then and then you going and looking and going, yeah, that makes a good business sense for both of us. Yeah, we want really good itemized deductions. Yeah, yeah. ask for that line item. Ask for that itemization. Yeah. They might not give it to you. They might say, man, this is more trouble than it's worth. We can go down to the next guy who's going to say, yeah, 10 years is great. A $60,000 P&A cap is great. I don't care. I just want the movie out there. You know, they might not want to put up with your nonsense, but that's fine. Because you know why? If not, you can always release it yourself. Right. And I think the, the key or the point you're trying to make to everybody listening is there's certain things within there. Key art's one of them. That there's an importance to understanding how that money might be spent on your behalf yeah. that you're never going to recuperate because... They went and did it, and that then that leads to the other big thing they hide money behind is a P and A cap. That Greg yes, P and A is prints and advertising. You know, some distributors are going to ask for a large P and A cap. You know, so they can market properly market your film. Like, where are you going to market this film, man? What are you going to do? Take out a, a full page ad in Fangoria magazines? I mean, come on, man. Right, right. What are you going to do with the money? And like we were talking, for us, we're thinking going. I don't know. Is five thousand is good to start with? I'd go lower. Well, even show us what the show us what you spent that on, and I'll give you more. Exactly. Because I want to see that the fruits of that money. A, can I see it somewhere? Can yeah, I actually if, see what they did? If there's bang for your buck, and you spend thirty five hundred bucks, and it does something, well, hey, let's spend another thirty five. Let's right. Spend five, you know, for every thirty five, you're going to generate X amount in sales. Right. Perfect. Let's see what the first thirty-five does. Mm-hmm. And, and, st- and to be honest, a lot of distributors, you know, they're not going to want to mess with that if they don't have to. Right. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But that doesn't mean you have to go with them. You don't have to sign with them, because once you sign, it's done. Well, it's legal. Yeah, it's, it's legal. It's 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 legal in a sense of the eyes of the law, and they're they're good at it, and they're good at the contracts, and it costs a lot of money to undo it. So also, what what kind of terms were they talking about as far as lengths of how long they would have ownership of the film in your past experience? The first one was only five years. Second one was ten years. Woo! Ass yeah. kicked into ten years. <laughs> Don't do that shit ever no, again. No, 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 no. That really, uh, god damn. I'll tell you what we're going to ask for, what we're absolutely not going to get. We're going to ask for one year with the ability to extend after one year. No one's going to want to do that. But... Giving that, I even think you go a little bit further and say, not saying we have to re up after a year, going, if you meet all the obligations and you show us all the stuff, we'll give you another year. Yeah. So it, it, it leads more to saying, all you have to do is perform and we'll give you another year. Yes. So it's really in perpetuity. 
as long as they are meeting the obligations of the film and everybody's happy with the contract. But it gets both parties to come out. And why do you think they went five, seven, ten years? Think about this. Okay, let's say their standard is ten years. And they sign, uh, I don't know, ten films a month. Let's let's just say that. So that's what, 100 and, uh, 120 films a year? It's good math. Yeah, it's good math. I'm quick on my feet. <laughs> yeah, ten times twelve. <laughs> so, out of those... 120 films, most of them are just turds. They don't go anywhere, don't do anything. Nobody sees them. But you might have one that fucking hits. You might have that Blair Witch Project that just blows up. And you know what? You've got it locked for 10 years. Okay. So it's not so much that... So they're going in up front going, I know most of these are turds, but I need to have that same 10-year contract in case I get the Blair Witch. Just in case it does hit. Just in case one hits. If one hits, then bam, I am solid. Right. But we're honest people. Yeah. And if this person's making us money and this thing hits, why wouldn't we continue to go, right? Oh, well, we, we wouldn't have an issue with that. Just, no. The and, and the is, contract's even going to protect them on that side and say, well, we did everything. We're going to go over to the next year. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Again, it's it's a different world. We haven't actually spoken to anyone as of yet. Maybe someone will go for it. Maybe someone will think, yeah, these guys, you know, they're smart, they're savvy. We're looking out for them. They're looking out for us. Let's make a deal. Yeah, can't I, hurt. I doubt it, but you never know. Here's a $250,000 minimum, and here's a two-year contract. <laughs> right. Yeah, go have fun, boys. Yeah. And, and by the way, we want to part with you on your next movie. Yeah, here's another two fifty. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, anyway, so that's... that's. Oh, go ahead. Say. Here's the other thing. Uh, there's this uh, filmmaker, uh, kind of an entre- film entrepreneur, if you will, Jay Horton. He made a movie called Craving. It was his latest thing, and he does a lot of YouTube videos on the ins and outs of filmmaking. And basically what he said, and this is honestly true, a lot of people complain about their distributors fucking them over and this and that. He said, but baseline, if you want to get ahead in the film industry, make better films. Yep. At, at the... Bargain basement level, you should be making better films. And that's the truth. You have to honestly assess what you've made. True. Right? And I think we have honestly assessed what we've made. We have made a pretty good action horror film. But it's not the next Blair Witch Project. Right? It's it's not the next Blue Ruin. You're saying we're not going to make $40 million? Probably not. Yeah, but you're so. even honest about your past films. Yeah. Right. Make better films. Make yeah. that right. And not saying you should sign the deals we signed, possibly because they were smooth deals. But you can see why they were positioned the way they were positioned. Yeah. I I thought my first feature film was The Bee's Knees. I really did. I thought this is going to go places. This is going to elevate my career. I'm mean, I'm on my way. I made a feature film. And you know what? It's not really that great. It's good for what it is, and it's completed, and it shows that. The, the production team had some skill to get it from point A to point B, and it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not a great film. But any distribution probably would have put you in the same position you still are today. Yeah. Okay. Fair fair for the distribution. Well, maybe or maybe not, because we we don't know how good the distributors were actually doing for us anyway. Like, they may have done really well for the distributor. We don't have any real good paperwork they never gave us the reports that were supposed to be given to us per the contract well in the contract yeah no they're supposed to be doing uh accurate and timely reporting which we don't have right yeah so but again loose term 
Yeah. Right. What's that mean to, right? What does that mean? Exactly. Well, in the film industry, Chris, over 10 years, that means I have to give you something every once in a while as opposed to when things come in. No. So if you sign with the stripper, you got to have them spell everything out down down to the the smallest detail. And you know what? Chances are they might not want to do it because, man, that's a lot of work and it makes it harder for me to screw you. Yeah, and if they if they don't want to sign legitimate, really good paperwork contracts, you know, move on. Yeah, Go don't do it. Else. And because you can always put it out yourself. That was not an option twenty years ago. Right, and that that totally changed the game. Because if your object or goal is to get your movie so people see it, Film Hub. There's there's tons of places you can go to. There's there's a lot of places you can go to for an independent filmmaker to get his movie out there to go, look, I'm out there for other people to see it. Because that's one of the goals, right? That is one of the goals, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point, you know, of, of making films is so people can see your films, right. right? The problem is there's so many out there. Yes. You know, how you get, how is your film going to stand out? And that comes, I believe, with the name Actors. You know, I think that helps make your film stand out as, as, as well as the genre, too. I mean, obviously, our genre is, you know, action horror uh, for Red Night of Skies, and that will, that will help things out, I believe. But there are tons of other horror action movies. Proofs in the pudding. We got a call with a distributor. We'll let you guys know how it goes. We talked a lot about how what we think, what we're going to ask for, but we'll let you know how what they said and how kind of we responded and what kind of contract we get but Brock you brought up a good point guy at work asked me today going if you had to pick a genre if you had to pick something what for an independent filmmaker what genre would you pick and that was such an open-ended question but I thought it was a good question uh from somebody who loves movies following my journey following our journey but I was just like you know I hate to say it to you, man, Sean, but it depends. It depends, but uh, because there are so many horror films, but um, that is actually the the most bang for the buck, I'd say. To so you can get a name actor or two or three or whatever. We have one really big name actor in our film, and uh, they're not cheap, but they're still bang for your buck. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd do it what we did with Red Knight, get Bill in here for as long as we did. And, um, you know, maybe next time we try and raise more money, you know, <laughs> for the next film and get, you know, three or four name actors in it. So, so you say bang for a buck, you're talking about from a profitability yeah. standpoint that's to right. try it's, to return a profit. Yes, and I'd still believe action horror is probably the way to go for the type of budget we're using right now. It's one of the easiest genres to make on a low budget. It has a built-in fan base, genre-based films, horror horror genre being a, a, a huge, huge genre. There are conventions just based around horror. And those horror icons bring bring that bang for your buck like I was talking about. And uh, the, the fan base already in there. So you were saying about bang for your buck for the uh, the the actors and that kind of stuff, and uh, you know my my answer to him was it depends. Yes, would I eventually get to the horror genre, horror action genre? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. But the first thing I told him is I said, hey, everybody's got to be a level playing field for money. So we got to all say we're all ultra low budget because if you have an endless budget, we've talked about this before. Oh yeah, you gotta make Avatar. What could you do? Well, yeah, what could you not do with it? And then I just started going through genres or. Your reason for making the film is it art? 
is it because you want to return for your investors or is it because you want to do this? I said, then you need to start saying, uh, what can I afford within that? And I looked at action films and I said, man, you need a car crash that costs money. You know, you need Building to stuff. blow up. Well, Somebody and you fire. need an action star mm-hmm. who, if you want to get a real action star, name me five action stars that are going to come at a price that you can get from you're a, not, you're not right. Not, so, not a legit star. No. star no. Right. So it was fun just yeah, walking through that process rock. with him. We're going to have the rock on our next film. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. We just started walking through this and he just goes, man, it's not limited, but it really depends on what you want to do for what your ultimate purpose Mm -hmm. is. And for our purpose, for 88 millimeter, it's to return a profit and make the next film. And the bang for the buck comes from the horror genre because it's cheap. Because Chris, weren't you saying like you didn't think that you didn't like that in your early stages? What were you saying earlier? So, essentially, I've done everything wrong you can possibly do in a film <laughs> career. I really have. Okay. <laughs> Didn't mean to go there. <laughs> Amphetamine was what it was. It was my first film. It was a essentially a neo-noir gangster film. And it's not a great feature film, but it, it was the first one. Everything that I made after Amphetamine, up to but not including Red Night at Skies, was essentially a mistake. An expensive, time-consuming mistake. It, it, and, and let me explain. You learn from them. I, I learned a lot from them. I learned how to make movies. By the time I got to Red Knight, I, I sort of knew what I was doing. But essentially, there are several films after Amphetamine. Rhineland, Game of the Year, Sound of Nothing, Weldon Krieg, 35 Days, which essentially don't really matter. Personally... Everything would have been much better if my very first film was of the exact same quality, had the exact same elements as Red Knight at Skies has. I'm sure everybody would say that, though. Yeah. I mean, I was just talking to director Wyatt Weed over the weekend about that same thing. Like, man, I wish I knew Hmm. 20 years ago what I know now. Yeah, and you could say that about anything in any aspect of life, if you ask me. Not just filmmaking, but damn anything. Yeah. But as far as film goes, first and foremost, do it because you love doing it. Right. Right. Don't do it because you want to make money. Don't do it because you're trying to meet women or men or whoever the hell you're trying to meet. Do it because that's what you love to do. Because, yes, indie film sucks, but we got to do it anyways because we love doing it. We love making movies. We love being on set. It's it's part of our DNA. I saw it this weekend with Nathan. Yeah. He loves doing it. Yes. Gosh darn, he is passionate. Yes. And and that, first and foremost, that, that's why you got to do it. However, if you're going to do it, man, you got to be smart about it. Smart. You, if you're not making movies that are sellable and you're not independently wealthy, you are, you're kind of wasting your time. Well, I, I don't know if I 100% agree because I think, you know, if you're young and you want to be a movie maker, actor, you know, you got to, you got to keep, you got to try somewhere. You, got, you can't, you can't start off on a A-list or set unless you're really fucking lucky. You know, I, I think it, it is tough, man. It is tough, but I, I couldn't tell somebody not to do it if they like it. No, no, no. I don't think Chris is saying don't do it. Do it. Cause that's the first thing you said was passion. Yeah. Have your passion, do it, but re- listen to other people about what the mistakes they made. Oh, sure. And understand going, certain stuff is going to do better 
in certain climates, certain genres, right? Like you were saying, even about, uh, even in the horror genre, different things, right? You were saying uh, tits and blood, you know, you got name. No, seriously, there's, but there's different things that if you were to do something and you're going to make a horror movie, research, find out what sells and what's cheap and what's all these other things that you can put into it that if you wanted to pick a genre, that's where I was going. Well, James Dean made his first film, which was an exploitation film called Fountain and the Vengeful Nun That Wouldn't Die. And he said, it did okay. But he, he really went back and he really thought about how can I maximize the business side of things with the next movie, Triple Xmas, which is essentially a killer Santa Claus movie on a, on a porn set. He, he did all that. A, he loves making movies. He loves horror movies. But he did it also as a smart business decision because that's what so many people and, you know, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. You know, punk rock, make art. That's cool, but it's not going to make you any money. And if you're not making any money, you're eventually not going to be able to make any films. So that begs the question that I had coming from that is most do most film people go into it? And I can't speak for every film people because a lot of them are art and a lot of them are different things and coming out of school and stuff. But do they 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 want their stuff to be recognized and make money and be out there, right? Is that is that what you were thinking? Is that what most independent filmmakers think? Because I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Everybody thinks they're going to make a movie and it's going to it's going to hit like you know Blair Witch. They're going to go to Sundance and and they're going to have fame and fortune. They're going to be able to make bigger movies, make all the movies they've they've always dreamed of making, make the movies like their heroes have made. But that's the process. Yeah. It's a long-ass process, and you have to be smart about it. And being smart about it is making something that you can sell. Within the confines of staying true to yourself a little bit? I mean, how do you you balance the two? (laughs) That's a great question. No, I know. That's that's the deeper question. Well, we're learning that. We're seeing if that happens on Red Knight. I think I don't think we compromised with Red Knight, uh, really, for what we wanted to do uh, on the art side or the financial side. Hopefully, uh, what I mean by that is we knew we needed to raise X amount of dollars to make this movie. Uh, Chris wrote wrote it the way he wanted to write it and didn't really compromise anything for his art. Uh, but we raised enough money so we didn't really have to compromise. Yeah, but did we we but we purposely went into it from our experience, like you just explained, from everything else we did, we purposely picked the genre. Yes. Oh, yeah. Based off of our decision to try to get the best ROI mm-hmm. for what we were trying to do, and then we brought in right because scares are cheap. Yeah. Blood's cheap. Yeah. There's a big fan base. Yeah. Um, icon actors love doing their craft so they're not as expensive as some of the other folks that love doing their craft because they i think i think guys like mosley and these and these other people love putting their things out there because they want to stay in front of their fans yeah um and they just they just have a passion for it and it's just they know what they're doing 100 percent, they know what they're doing i mean at the end of the day i made the movie that i wanted to make for red knight for red knight at skies and Whatever our follow-up film is going to be, I mean, I have one script done. I have another uh, treatment in the works. It's in the they're both in the action horror genre, but essentially, I look at the filmmakers that have inspired me the most, and I've mentioned it before: John Carpenter, Walter Hill, Ridley Scott. All pretty successful guys. I know no one here has heard of Walter Hill, but 
look him up. He's done a lot of really badass films. He has. And Carpenter, obviously, is very successful. Did Halloween, did The Thing, mm-hmm. did uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And Ridley Scott, you know, if you don't know who Ridley Scott is, <laughs> don't even listen to the damn podcast. But the point <laughs> is, those guys have worked in that genre and also beyond that genre. But I, I think they've stayed true to themselves. Yes, I think so, too. In, in, in that genre, though. Yeah, I mean, Ridley Scott is, you know, obviously, of, of the three I've mentioned... Now, Walter Hill's out of that genre. He's in and out. You know, but, I mean, Ridley yeah. Scott is, is, is the most successful. Right. Yes. Just, I, if he had just made Aliens, you know, that, that's all he needed that to make. Else, but he, he's done a few other things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'll go back and tell Sean, it depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends. You know, again. Uh, Sean, you got money? Because I'll go make whatever you want it, me to make. If exactly. If you have enough money, then do whatever the hell you want. Right. right, I was taking money out of it though. Yeah, I no, I mean, yeah, there, there, there is no right or wrong answer for that. First of all, do what you want to do, but also know that there's a business side to it. Yeah. What do you got, Brock? Nothing. What? I mean, that's important. It, it, it is a business. It, it's an art. I get it, but man, if you're wanting to keep doing it, it's you got to look at. You can try. You can be true to yourself and still make a business out of it. Yeah, you really, really can, and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, and if I were to give it, I guess I should turn this on Sean and say, if I was going to give anybody any advice on what genre to pick for a small independent filmmaker, if you're looking to get your stuff out there with a dedicated audience for the lowest budget you possibly can and possibly turn a profit, you got to pick action horror. That, that's probably the answer I would have gave him. Well, that's 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 why we're doing what we're doing right now. Right. Exactly. I think that's, and it's a wise choice for us. So. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean a documentary can't sell because they, they can and they do. Mm-hmm. And documentaries are also cheap to make. I mean, but if you want to really make an impact with it, it's, it's got to have something that really hits hard. Yep. They're very topical. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of movement within there, like we just said about how um, James Dean's doing it, how we did it, how other people are doing it within that same genre. There's just a lot of mix and options, I guess. Yeah, for like people. It's it's really tough to sell a low budget drama. A low budget drama that has no no name actors, no stars in it, that's a really tough sell. It's not impossible. Yeah, and it, same with comedy. Yeah, comedy's hard because but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of shorts subjective. come out though like that now with the dramas and those kind of things. I mean, I don't know. Is there a position for the shorts for uh, Shorts are great practice, but shorts aren't going to make any money. Is that what people money. are doing it for? The, for shorts uh for practice and you know the hopes of if somebody sees this maybe make i get it make it longer m- yeah or cast it yeah i but, mean you look at sling blade it was a short and then uh he turned it into a feature it was also 25 years ago or it, whatever it, it was but it had big name actors in it too it had molly ringwald and <laughs> and uh Billy Bob, Bob Thornton. Thornton. There you go. Yeah, but I was I was just thinking about things I've seen the 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 longer length things I've seen come out of St. Louis. Well, all gone wrong was action. You yeah. know it, that was crime. Crime that that great, but it had Tony Todd in it, so he he covered a nice aspect there. But most of the stuff I've seen have been shorts that have been the dramas or the serious pieces that haven't been you know the action horror kind of genre that we've been in. 
the features that I've seen coming out are in stuff we're talking about, like Dark at the Top of the Stairs and those kind of things that we've been mentioned on this podcast. Yeah. Um, Oscar Tango Hellwater, those kind of things. Mary Xmas is coming out, you know, those kind of things. Triple Xmas. Triple Xmas, thank you. Mary Xmas. Yeah, I mean, St. Louis is, is turning out some, some stuff. I'm and very, some, very proud of them. Some good stuff, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, the... Uh, the the field is very different than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, I, I, I would say what I used to watch, I would call a typical St. Louis film, and I say that with a fair amount of disdain because, you know, they, they were always sort of, you know, your kind of bog-standard three-point lighting and kind of crappy production design. Two over the shoulders and a master. Yeah, and, and, and you know. It's going to be on your tube zone, Jeff. Sub, subpar acting. Uh, that seems like it's a thing of the past. I mean, some of the stuff I'm seeing now is Amazing. really good. Yeah. Well, you know why things have picked up here in St. Louis? It's why because, is that? well, first of all, the indie film. Sucks oh, the indie podcast. film sucks podcast. Exactly. Yeah. It's been yeah, bringing it's people been, together. It's because of us. It's been bringing people together. <laughs> and uh, No, but there is a little bit of an energy right now, but I think it's it's a little bit of us connecting to people. Yeah. Being more connected. That's very cool. And putting some energy into people, and it's kind of really exciting. Yeah. Because you know what we do oh. is not only do we talk about any film sucks, we talk about the highs, the lows, and the in-betweens in of true independent filmmaking on the Any Film Sucks podcast. Brought to you by 88mm Productions. Uh, like and follow. Red so, Night Sky. Yeah, like, subscribe, whatever. Yeah, uh, 25th of November. November 25th. November Red 25th. Red 25th. High Point Theater. Historic High Point Theater. We'll see you there. Peace. Film sucks. Indie film sucks. It's the Indie Film Sucks Podcast. Yeah.